Hello and welcome to another episode of the 237 Film School Podcast with me, Martin Law. Today my guest is writer-director Gareth Tunley, whose debut feature film The Ghoul hit the BFI Film Festival in 2016 before being released in cinemas in 2017. The film is a psychological drama starring Tom Meaton, who also produced the film alongside Gareth and producer Jack Healy Gutman as well. The film was nominated for a BAFTA for Outstanding Debut by a British writer, director or producer. So I wanted to chat to Gareth about how that BAFTA nomination has shaped his career. He's since gone on to direct TV, such as Cold Call for Channel 5 and The Last Tsars for Netflix, which was a documentary drama. Now, Gareth started his career as a comedy actor and also had some smaller roles in Ben Wheatley's films, including Kill List and Down Terrace. And Ben Wheatley was the executive producer of The Ghoul, so I wanted to know more about his involvement. So here is my chat with Gareth Tunley. So, Gareth, um, you obviously started out as a comedy actor. Is that something you still do now? I'm still available, Martin. I'm still available. <laughs> well, um, but I haven't done anything recently. Uh, I can't remember the last thing I, thing I did, actually. But... Um, but yeah, no, that, that was what I did for a good few years. I started actually doing live comedy on the circuit, uh, doing sketches and characters. That's kind of how I started. I mean, it was basically because I couldn't get it together to make short films. I tried to make short films and just found it too hard. Being a broke person in London in the late 90s and early noughties, it was just punishingly hard to make any kind of film especially it was the beginnings of the whole digital thing but it wasn't really accessible i didn't have a computer i didn't have a camera <laughs> i didn't have you know there were no cameras on phones so you couldn't make anything without a huge amount of organization and so i sort of drifted into live comedy where you can just turn up and do it so was your plan always to actually be behind the camera making the films directing producing was that always your original kind of interest yeah, it was since I was a late teen, since my late teens, but um, I just didn't, I couldn't find a way in and I'm still looking basically, even though I'm making some inroads into that. Um, and I think there kind of isn't a way in. I think there, there's, there's, everybody finds a different route and it's almost always very circuitous and strange um, and I'm no different. Right. So obviously when you started out, getting some of the TV work in terms of acting. So, for example, Peep Show on IMDb is your second credit. So I don't know if you've done a lot more kind of theatre and um, comedy events and things. Almost certainly not my second job. It was probably more like my, you know, doesn't job. It's just stuff doesn't show up. Well, no, my question was really that obviously, you know, Gog was a memorable character in, in you know, in that episode and things. And did, did did you at the time think that it would then lead on to kind of potentially bigger parts were you kind of changing that actually you might go down the acting route i think every every actor thinks that this role is going to lead to bigger parts i'm still thinking it might lead to bigger parts um but uh i, I think i was always trying to maneuver behind the camera and there's i've just gone through different phases i've gone through phases where the acting was just a bit of a day job and it was supporting what i um what, what i was trying to do as a director and then there are certain bits where the directing has just been, you know, doing corporate videos and it's kind of been supporting the acting and the writing. So it's been a bit of a on all fronts kind of approach. Uh, I mean, Peep Show was a brilliant job and that was a kind of golden period because I was doing a live show at the time. I think it was around that time called Ealing Live, where I met people who I later work with in The Ghoul, like Tom Meaton and Alice Lowe, and uh, on the same sort of comedy circuit, I met people like Rufus Jones and Dan Skinner, who were also in The Ghoul. Um, so it was kind of, it, that was the period, and the Peep Show episode's just the thing that kind of shows up from that. But we did a whole mass of stuff on the circuit live, and we were also starting to make 
little shorts and film sketches. I think a big thing that happened was the DSLR revolution, where you could get off the old video cameras, and if you just knew somebody with a DSLR, you could make stuff. I guess that was kind of the mid to late noughties, I guess that happened. I, I, I guess that the, the 5D came out and all that sort of thing. Um, and you could sort of make stuff look like film um, without kind of shooting on 16 mil or something, you know, incredibly cumbersome. It's not actually that long ago, but it sort of, you know, it's, it caused a real revolution at the time. So as soon as the technology did kind of become more accessible, were you already planning to make the feature film or, or did that kind of just simmer a little bit and then eventually happen? Yeah, I was planning to make the feature film for a long, long time, but had no real means of doing it. Like I sort of thought it would, I was trying to get it so that it would, you know, be low budget and cost, you know, a few hundreds of thousands or a million or something. But, and I wrote other scripts. I wrote at least three feature scripts that I sent out to people before the ghoul. So that's, you know, quite a lot of writing, along with all the TV stuff I was trying to get off the ground and all the kind of um, treatments and sitcom scripts and pitches and things. Um, but uh, we did, we, we, we were making stuff as well. So me and a lot of other like-minded people were, making short films. But basically one of the things that happened was I think I made my first short film in the very late nineties. So that's how old I am. That's a long time ago. <laughs> um, and uh, it was just horrible. It was, um, it just took way too long for what it was. I think this is something I don't know about yourself, Martin, but this is something people get wrapped up in a lot is you make something and it takes too long for what it is. You know, you make a short film and you kind of know in your heart of hearts because you're just starting out, it's probably not going to be that good, but it takes like, you know, a year and a half and it's still not made. I mean, this is definitely what happened before post-production became as easy as it is now where you can, you know, if you've got a laptop, you can edit. Whereas in the old days, if you had to sort of borrow post-production time, it could just drag on for absolutely years. What happened in the end after, after I mean, probably like a decade of having made about three short films or something, um, I started making really, really short, short things for the internet, most of which are still up there. If people are interested and want to feel better about themselves, they can see these <laughs> dreadful things. And they were just little viral length things, little animations, GIFs sometimes, sometimes kind of things that were like a minute long, um, stupid sketches. And I did that for a couple of years at least and had a blog and all of that sort of stuff. This is around about kind of 2007, that sort of time. And I think that was the real basis for The Ghoul. It taught me how to do pretty much everything myself if I had to. And that's a good sort of basis to go from, because it kind of gives you confidence, even though I didn't do everything by any means on the ghoul, um, I sort of could have done that a stretch. And I think psychologically, that's a huge, huge thing. So when you said that you were sending out some of the scripts that you'd written and things like that, at that time, obviously you were acting and getting parts in certain things. Yeah. So was you, did you have an agent, an acting agent, and did that help get scripts sent to certain people, or were you just kind of sending them unsolicited? Yeah. No, that's right. I had, I had, I'd come in via the comedy scene and gone up to Edinburgh in the sort of late nineties, early noughties, and got an agent. You know, changed agent a few years later, but it was mostly acting and sort of, you know, I guess light entertainment basically. Um, and uh, uh, but they also represented me for scripts. I've now got a writing and directing agent as a separate thing. Um, but back in those days, they would at least have contacts. And I remember I sent out feature scripts and I was, this is one of the other things that led to doing a low budget feature. I was really impressed compared to TV because I'd been pitching stuff to TV and getting nowhere for years. And even though the feature scripts were rejected, I got some really good feedback. It seemed to be a different culture in film. So even though we don't really have a big 
or maybe because we don't have a big machine-like film industry. I don't know what the reason is, but any, or maybe I was just lucky, but I got really good feedback, um, even though the, ultimately the answer was no. I got kind of big, long notes on these things, but they had no intention of making them. It was, it was in a way, clearer than ever. Um, and I just thought, well, I've got to, I've got to make one of these low-budget features that I'd known a few people by then who had made low-budget features at one time or another and had sort of read about it over the years quite a lot. And so I, I in the end, decided to just go for it. So how important would you say at that time for you as a performer, someone wanting to actually, you know, make films, how important was it to do the networking? And, and when you were even getting the TV stuff, were you kind of talking to the directors and watching what they were doing, you know, backstage and things like that? Yeah, I mean, I... I learned a lot. You you basically learn by doing. So I, I I learned from making stuff definitely more than as an actor. I mean, as an actor, what you see is how to make stuff with a first AD, a second, a third, you know, a catering department, uh, you know, a, a DOP who's got a team of three people with him or her, you know, and all that. Whereas when you're a student or somebody just starting out making films, it's basically just you and a mate in a field, you know, making, trying to make something. And the only way to learn to do that is to do that, um, is to just go out and make stuff. So I sort of learned a bit, but I'm mostly from, from, from acting. I, I met the cast of the ghoul. Um, and we also laid down the foundations of, um, our kind of contact, our network that eventually helped us to get it out into the world, which is a huge, huge thing. But really by making stuff, I met people like Ben Pritchard, who was the cinematographer on The Ghoul. That was from making short a short film I did with him and doing some professional stuff with him as well. Um, so, yeah, the network's important, but I think you build it, or I built it anyway, just by by making a ton of stuff. And how long would you say it took to write the finished script for The Ghoul? So it went very, very, very slowly and then very fast. So over years and years, I had this vague idea, which wasn't necessarily supposed to be a micro-budget feature. It was just one idea out of many um, that I often have, which, you know, probably not going to go anywhere. And it had all sorts of crazy kind of stuff in it, which I couldn't see a way to do on a micro budget anyway, especially the original version. Um, so, it, so in a way, it took a decade um, in terms of how old the ideas are. But then once we decided to go for it, I ended up writing it reasonably fast in a matter of months and had a sort of messy draft that I showed to Tom Meaton, who's the lead in the film and also co-produced the film with Jack Gutman. Um, and he he and Jack read that, and we we worked fairly quickly, overlapping with pre-production, I guess. So it was sort of uh, slow, slow, fast. Yeah, I think if I remember rightly, in one of the interviews that the three of you did together, I think you said that pre-production was only probably three months from saying in Jan. Was it January? You said you were going to start and you were going to go for it. Yeah, I think it was the year, but the end of the year before, so 2013, we said we were going to go for it. So we, we'd made a short film called The Baron, which is like a comedy short with Tom, Tom Meaton in the lead, one of Tom's characters, his idea. And I felt on that that things were coming together after years of making, like I say, tons and tons of stuff, um, that I was finally learning how to sort of bolt things together and tell a story. And that was made for a few hundred quid, that one. Um, and then me and Jack basically said, we'll make one other film which we did another short and then we'll make this feature and so in sort of late 2013 we said let's go for it and I think we were planning to film in February and then it got pushed back to March as these things inevitably do but it was fairly short turnaround the thing that took the time the thing that took the time was post-production so we were editing for a year um, around other jobs so obviously not editing all the time. So if you put it all together, it's probably a couple of months, but, you know, fitting it in on weekends and so on. And then we got locked into 
trying to mix the sound and do the grade and get the thing actually delivered was a nightmare that took another sort of, like, oh God, I don't know how long, another, another six months or something. And then, of course, we had that sort of overlapped with trying to get the film out into the world, which was a huge, huge task. And we, by that time, we'd hooked up with, uh, uh, we became our executive producer, Diraj Mahe, who was fantastic and um, really was the guy who got the film out into the world, just did a whole load of work and also had a kind of vision for the film that we wouldn't have had, um, I think it's fair to say, um, in terms of not just getting it to a festival, but trying to get it onto screens. And yeah, he just, he had a, he had a way of understanding how to pitch the film to the industry. So not trying to get it straight in front of audiences, but our first audience for the first sort of six months really was just industry people and having to virtually drag them along to private screenings in hotels and things um, as a sort of hidden part of filmmaking there that people don't see, which is this kind of, especially with a small, small film that doesn't have any sort of weight behind it. Uh, it's just trying to get people to kind of take it seriously as a, as a film. Right. So he was not involved in the actual production. He, he purely got on board during the post-production and, and there to help get dis distribution. That's right. He was basically an advisor during production. He was him and a couple of other guys were the people we would ring with questions. And Jeroz was more the kind of business side of things, I suppose. We would we would ring him about anything. Um, but then he saw it and I think I like to think he you know liked it enough to give us his time. And um, uh, so, yeah, he kind of came on late, as it were, but completely it's a weird thing because he because the film was locked by that point but it sort of became a different film from being this kind of file on my hard drive it became over about an 18 month period became a proper film with a you know a film festival um premiere and a distributor and you know release in america and on tv and all the rest of it so when you say locked, you mean you'd finished it, you were happy with it, but then yeah. it was that extra process of, of getting yeah. it out there. Totally, yeah. The film was finished, but hardly anybody, only handfuls of people had seen it. And we, what we did was we, this was all Diraj's strategy really, was we showed it about once a month or every six weeks to an invited audience um, in small screening rooms you know, like 40-seater little places. So this cost um, money on top of the actual budget of the film, which was sort of raise funds for this. We just, we started out by inviting basically friends. But like you were saying earlier, we do have friends in the industry, but it tended to be TV. So it tended to be a load of comedians who saw it first um, and comedy producers. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but they, you know, they were just like, okay, that wasn't very funny. Um, uh, and but then it just slowly word spread, I guess, until we started to get, um, like you mentioned, it had been on film four. So film four came at one stage. I remember a couple of critics came quite early on. We were sort of building, um, building sort of word of mouth about this thing even existing. This is long before it got a distributor, even before it got into a film festival. We were rejected by a lot of international film festivals and then eventually it got into the london film festival the bfi london film festival and that was the beginning of it turning around i should say as well that um ben wheatley who i'd worked with he came on I, i'm sure he won't mind me saying but he came on as a kind of he put his imprimatur on it he didn't have much to do with the film. he did give notes on the film i don't want to make out that he didn't do anything he gave some excellent notes before the film was locked, but then he sort of came on as an exec, as a sort of champion of the film, and that probably made a big difference as well uh, in terms of people taking it serious, seriously, including, you know, especially people who we're not meeting face-to-face, -face. you know, when you send something off, it's just one, one DVD or, or link on a pile, 
um, and it helps to have someone's name attached, definitely. And when you had written the script, did you ever send it out to anyone else? Or was this particular script always one that you were purely going to make yourself? For example, would you have been happy with Ben Wheatley directing it or was it always intended for you to make your feature debut? It was always intended for me. And not only that, but we didn't send it out even to people who we thought might give us a few thousand pounds. And we, and we didn't send it out to anybody in the hope that they would raise proper finance of hundreds of thousands or millions because we just we just had decided to do it this in this mad small way uh, and we thought that um, if we if we start sending it out with that starts the waiting game and like you were saying earlier it's pretty quick the actual production pre-production and production of the movie and that was kind of the whole point of it really was to just just to make it and I knew that if I sent it to this or that company the answer will probably be no but more importantly it's waiting for the no and you know we've, we've had plenty of years of doing that and I'm still doing that right now and will continue to do that I'm sure for the rest of my career but for this one thing it was just good to just have a project that we just make, would make and the whole thing was built when it actually came to be written it was written obviously with a, a, a micro budget in mind um, so it was built from the ground up and rebuilt and rethought um, with Jack and Tom um, in terms of what we could get access to and constantly reinventing the story slightly to suit the budget. I'd like to pick your brains about the budget, if that's all right, because, I mean, the micro-budget terminology, I believe, is for a £100,000 film, isn't it? But I think... This is probably more no-budget. It's more, I mean... Nothing's no budget, but it certainly wasn't 100,000. Yeah, it's closer been a, to no budget than 100,000, yeah. Definitely closer to no budget. Um, so it's, it's not a matter of public record as to what the budget was. As, and I've, I've, it's become a bit of a superstition that I don't want to break, but let me say it was not nowhere near 100,000. It was a few thousand pounds. Um, I'll leave it at that. It was a few thousand pounds. I mean, in a way, you kind of, when it's that low, it's hard to put a figure on it anyway, because you go, do I include the laptop that I edited it on? Or yeah, do I, of course. You know, so it's that sort of level of <coughs> filmmaking. I think um, I heard in an, in an interview, you, you said that you got part of the, I think you actually said you got half the budget through the film and TV charity, the John Brayburn Awards. That's right. And when yeah. I've when I've been on there, I think it gives up to five thousand pounds. So when I was working it out, I thought, right, it's maximum ten thousand pound budget, and nothing about the film looks well, you've, you, ten thousand. See, this is the trouble be, talking be, to Martin is you're cleverer you're cleverer than I am, and you know you, you know you've you've come but you've come very close there. That is basically the size of it, yeah. So, um, so yeah, and they're they're a great tra- charity, and that was a big. I mean, we would have. We were planning to make it for half the eventual budget. Um, and then I got uh, some money from that charity, which is essentially a sort of bursary. Um, and they're a great, there's the film and television charity um, that people can apply to. Uh, and they kind of support filmmakers, screenwriters, anybody working behind the camera in um, film or television doesn't matter if you're a cinematographer or a sound mixer or just want to be one of those things. <clears throat> as long as you've sort of, as long as you've been working in the industry for a couple of years, you can apply. And um, that was a huge breakthrough for the film because um, it basically, like I say, sort of doubled the budget <laughs> of the film. Usually budgets get halved rather than doubled, whereas this one actually went up. So it was a fantastic breakthrough for, for the film. And with regards to the budget, I mean, obviously there are some familiar faces in the film, and yeah. I guess I guess if if you didn't know them in advance, if if somebody like me approached these people, I probably wouldn't be able to get them in my film for the same budget, would I? So again, is it down to that kind of networking and, and doing other things to yeah. kind of promote yourself in that way? It's a bit of both. I mean, I didn't know everybody, so I'd never met or worked with Neve Cusack, and I'd never met. Well, I hadn't met, actually, but I didn't know Jeff McGiven, who's in the film a lot. But they did it, you know, for a token fee, basically, to them. Nothing, because they're established actors. But it is... So, so 
I think it's a mix. I think if you can get working before you do your first, before somebody does their first feature and just build up a, a sort of bed of contacts and people who's gonna, who are going to make up at least some of the cast so you don't have to pull in every favour. But that said, people who you've never met who are well-established will, will do um, smaller projects, especially if you're very well organised and you... So I think we we had Jeff for two days, so we had to do a lot in two days. Yeah, I was going to say I watched I watched the film obviously <coughs> recently, and um, he, he is in a lot of the films, so that's quite surprising. So it's quite flat out for him, but it's better that than trying to get him for a week for no money, which he probably wouldn't have done and wouldn't have been able to do because he's busy a busy man. Um, so it's just about fitting around what they what what people can do but people want to work you know and they do they not everybody people will certainly say no and people said no to us but um i think there's some fantastic people out there who will do it if you're respectful and well organized and giving a good part and a good chance to do something especially if you're giving them a chance to do something they haven't done before haven't done for a while that kind of thing um but i think it's about there's a kind of economy to pulling pulling in favors so it was a lot of work getting Neve and a lot of work getting Jeff. And if we had to do that for every part, we just it would just been too much for essentially three people to to do along with everything else. So what would your advice be? Is it a case of for, for somebody who has a particular actor in mind, is it do your research, contact the agent, and do you kind of say in a, in a letter to the agent what the budget's going to be and how potentially little money there is? Or do you kind of leave that until maybe they're interested? How, how did you really get these people on board? We, we were totally up front. And I think there was, and this is going to be sort of depressing for people who are not, who are just starting out, but there was always some sort of contact. So there was always some intermediary sort of link. So... Same with Paul Kay, same with Neve, same with Jeff. There was always something other than just a blind approach to their agent. But definitely, so there's kind of two questions. Should you be upfront about the budget? Absolutely, yes. I mean, um, you're just frightening people. If you're not completely straight, you'll just frighten people off and piss people off. Um, and it's just you're kind of wasting your own time if you if you hold back if you if you've got a, if you're doing a no budget thing you need to say um uh and um the second thing is uh you, you know you kind of need to just cultivate if you're not in a position well i actually don't know what would happen if you just approached people completely um on spec with no link uh it could work but we had some links to these people uh like so so i think i had worked with paul as an actor but i don't know whether he remembered who i was but tom kind of knew him uh not as a close friend but you know knew him enough to get in touch so that does tell you something and so if you don't have those contacts i suppose it's a question i don't want to put anybody off making a making a feature but for me i had made a low a whole ton of stuff already so sort of had these kind of six degrees of separation sort of contacts i guess what i'd say is that it's kind of up to an individual like a lot of people their first feature is i'm actually an exception my first feature really was my first feature i know a lot of people like you know i suppose a famous example would be um shawn of the dead which wasn't their first feature um they made another film which name escapes me now, but I think it's called Fiscal of Fingers, you know, which is a very low budget thing. There's, I think a lot of filmmakers have some early film kind of in a bottom drawer somewhere. Um, and, you know, there's no time like the present to get that, even if it's bad or it doesn't quite, you know, come together or it doesn't get into any festivals or it doesn't, if you can make it and make it fast and have fun making it, I think that's, that's the way that you then make contacts for your second film. Or failing that, just make, like I did, a ton of shorts. You mentioned, obviously, that the psychotherapist was only on, on set for two days. I mean, yeah. what was the total shoot then? 
So our all our dialogue was done in ten days, which is a ridiculous, uh, <laughs> a ridiculously short amount of time. Um, I'm not saying that's necessarily the best model, but I don't know how you get people for longer. Um, I mean, you could do a kind of filming at weekends over months kind of approach that I know some feature films are made that way. My model was, I mean, I've been involved in a few low budget features and many, many shorts as an actor, but I had done Ben Wheatley's first feature as an actor. I was only in it for about five minutes, but I was in it and I watched it being made and I kind of knew a bit about how they'd done it. And I think they shot that in even shorter space of time. I think they shot that in like eight days or something. And ours was a slightly more ambitious film from a production point of view. So we sort of naively went, well, try and try 10 days. But I remember Ben and Andy Stark, who was their producer, who was another one of our kind of advisors, basically saying, it's just a calculation. How long can you get a crew to give up their time for nothing? And that just tells you <laughs> how long you've got. And then you've just got to cram it into that space of time. It's actually not so different than some TV. When you come to do TV and you've got to do seven page days, it's not a world away from that. It's, it's maybe even more mad, but, but, and we probably had days on the ghoul where we had nine or 10 page days, but uh, yeah, we just had to get it done. So would you say you got the takes that you wanted or was it a bit like how on, on they make soaps were you kind of restricted to how many takes you could do based on the time definitely only one or two takes definitely not enough setups very 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 restricted that's one of the reasons why the edit took so long because the more luxurious your coverage the more you can sort of bolt it together in the edit reasonably quickly so one of the reasons we took so long was because Every scene was like a problem scene. Um, so every scene was, there was some, <clears throat> I don't mean sort of a, a shot missing, but a kind of moment that didn't work or something that was clunky or something that was just not right. Um, just because of, as you'll know, as a, if you just don't have the coverage, you, you, you get stuck. So it was a real kind of a real struggle to to find the kind of what you know the one way that we found through it in the end. But uh, but yeah, it was it was essentially having a very strict sort of stopwatch in your head where you just go, we've got to stick to this schedule. So it was fairly sort of heartbreaking on the on the day. Very often you knew that there was a good scene in here if you just had half an hour more. But when you're an hour behind, you just got to move on because you know you're going to just drop a scene at the end of the day or, or drop two scenes if you don't keep going. So you've kind of just got to trust that the whole thing will come together and will be greater than the sum of its parts. And I know obviously that a lot of it is filmed indoors in the house and so on. So with regards to waiting areas for actors, you know, like in, in Hollywood yeah. films, you've got trailers and things. I mean... Yeah. Even catering, did you kind of have all these things or was it so low budget that it was a case of they come, do their hours and just go type thing? I mean, we we tried to do a no budget version of those things. So there certainly weren't any trailers or any of that. People would just hang around. But we did think, and I think Tom and Jack were more were much better at this than, than I was. We did have a caterer. We got an incredibly amazing deal from somebody who... They weren't there every day, but on the bigger days, they turned up with some pre-prepared lasagnas and things like that. So it is really important, that side of stuff, and really important to always think, you know, where's the green room? Again, it's not, it's not that different from a TV show where um, the unit base might be, you know, two miles away. And the reality is that the actors, even, even quite big stars, people, you, you know, names you'd recognise off the telly, end up waiting waiting around in you know a child's bedroom or something on the day um and this was no different we 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 were really lucky and you, you know you sort of make your own luck we, we wrote this script sort of thinking 
vaguely practically, but not knowing where all the lo- all the locations would come from. And then we got access to this house via the producer. You know, it's always, you know, through people you know, where we filmed a lot. We filmed that that doubled for the psychotherapist's uh, uh, house, and it was Kathleen's house, and it was also a sort of production base. We had sort of full access to this place, so th- that helped a hell of a lot. But it definitely is think it definitely is a really important thing thinking about the kind of workflow of everything. I mean, it's been much. One of the things that I think new directors have to watch is that they don't neglect those things, but also they can be so over the practical sides of making a film are so overwhelming you can almost forget to direct it if that makes any sense. So you can be, because I was co-producing the film with two other people, I was, you know, worrying about parking permits one minute and, you know, clearance to film in a park from the council and then, you know, things that you just mentioned, like where are the actors going to go and when are we going to rehearse and all this sort of stuff. And it's very easy to forget that you are supposed to be artistically directing the thing as well. So with regards to any exterior scenes, walking down the street, did you have permission for that or was that more guerrilla filmmaking? Some of it was guerrilla, some of it was permissions. I think any dialogue stuff was permissions. And then, so the dialogue was done in 10 days, but then quite a lot of the film is not dialogue. If you watch it, some would say too much, but anyway, there you go. Um, uh, But there's quite a lot of um, wandering and... uh, sort of mood building if you like um and uh that was done after we'd edited for about three or four months we had a good not just an assembly but but a fairly good sort of rough cut it had huge gaps it would have just scene cards saying chris goes from a to b here or you know that sort of thing and we filmed a lot of that um, in the summer of the of, the, of that year, um, as a sort of very extended sort of second unit. Right. So is that is that something that you would recommend people to do, or is it something that you wish you hadn't have done? Because obviously, like you said, the dialogue is the most important aspect, getting that covered, and then obviously you've got extra yeah. time to just film with Tom walking down the street, filming over his shoulder and stuff. Yeah. So I definitely recommend it if. I mean, every film's different, but if you've got actors and you've got sound recordists and you've got boom operators and you've got, you know, Jeff McGiven or Neve Cusack waiting for their scene, you do not want to be spending even half an hour filming like a GV of an exterior of a building or or even Tom, who is a more integral part of the production, walking down the street. You, that's just a waste of time. So we've never have got the film that you see on screen done in 10 days. All we could do was the dialogue, and that was even that was a struggle. So everything else, we, we filmed for, you know, four or five days altogether, especially if you include the car stuff. So we did a whole day or two of driving stuff, and then some of the, some of the driving stuff you see on screen, even then we didn't have enough, so we had to use some tests that we'd shot the previous year only only small glimpses, but it just shows how sort of hungry the edit is. So it was definitely it was definitely the right model for this film. Right. And and obviously you did get distribution. So that wasn't obviously guaranteed, but how difficult was that? Was it because of you got the extra people on board? Yeah, it was um it was very difficult in that it was very slow and it almost certainly almost didn't happen. Like I say, we finished the film and there was this long, long process of basically trying to sell it to the industry, trying to sort of um, get it known to the industry. I think that's what people in a way should focus on in a sense, rather than trying to go straight to an audience, just try and get people in the industry to know about their film. Um, Or at least that's what we did. And then eventually we got the London Film Festival, but we didn't get a distributor even at the festival. It was... I think it was in sort of November, December of that year. So this is, God, maybe 2015. I 
can't remember, but or 2016, I can't remember the year, I can't remember, it might be a year or two after the film was shot. We eventually got his interest from Arrow, who in the end were absolutely superb at understanding what the film was um, and getting it out there and, and positioning it properly as the kind of film it is, which, you know, it, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's, it's a difficult thing because the ghoul is called the ghoul and it sounds like it's a horror film and it is in some ways. Um, but it would be a mistake to sell it as a horror film, not because there's anything wrong with horror films. Some of the greatest films ever made are horror films, but it doesn't really deliver as a horror film. It doesn't, you know, it just doesn't have that kind of suspense or it just doesn't work like a horror film works. It's more of a thriller or drama. So uh, they understood that. And uh, even though they're, well, perhaps because they're genre guys and they're big horror fans, they sort of just knew how to position it slightly more in a kind of, in it's just a different space, basically. So with regards to the <clears throat> poster of the film, on, yeah. you know, it's, it's included on the end credits. Um, it says poster designed by, or, you know, however it's described. So was the poster made before distribution got on board? Because I know that obviously usually distributors want to design the poster and they, yeah. they do sometimes market things in the wrong way. So they, they could have potentially marketed it as a horror film, couldn't they? Yeah. So I think I might be slightly misleading. I think we actually had a, we had a really good poster, which is still around on the internet, but that was a sort of industry facing poster. If you see what I mean, it was basically in that period, that 18 month period where it didn't have a distributor, but it did have a sort of homemade poster. But then when Arrow came on, the poster that most people are familiar with, which with the sort of green overlaid face of Tom, that is the Arrow poster. And that's a good uh, example of uh, how they just, yeah, they understood that it was a sort of psychological thriller. Um, and like you say, they could have easily, easily gone wrong. But I think this is, this points up again, how it really was at least 18 months from locking the film. And I, by that, I mean, locking the sound mix and the grade pretty much. From doing that, it was an, it was a year and a half before we got a distributor and got into cinemas. So it was a fair old whack of time. And there was no guarantee during that time. About six or seven months into that, I thought that we'd reached the end of the road. And um, I was going to, I was thinking about just sticking it on Vimeo. I know that sounds mad, but that is, that was what, that was what, how it was looking. And then, you know, then the film festival thing happened. We thought that that was the end of the road. We were very pleased because that was a massive thing for us. And then, then it just started to sort of roll and escalate. Yeah, and obviously you got nominated for a BAFTA. So was that yeah. based on the film festival? Is that why it was qualified for that? I think that by the time it qualified for that, it had release. So it was certainly qualified so I think it was probably Arrow that actually entered it so it was quite late that was another kind of year later that that that, that actually happened but yeah I mean that would have been literally a joke on like on most short films you know people after a take people will go right that's the BAFTA and it's just a sort of joke that filmmakers have so yeah that was amazing and that was that was just an incredible sort of uh result so it just it just shows but I, I can't stress how um you know, we did not make the film. We we made the film thinking realistically, we want to get this on in like one cinema in order to get some reviews that we thought would be like little capsule reviews, like you know, a couple of inches in the corner of a magazine. And we'd have been we'd have been fairly happy with that. Um, so really, it was it got much much bigger than we ever. Uh, even though it's not a big film, it's a, it's still a small film in the great scheme of things. Um, it got much, much bigger than we anticipated. I've never even made a sort of a, a properly budgeted feature before that, you know. Obviously, you mentioned at the start that you now have got a agent for your film and TV directing work. So was that on the on the back of the film? And how much did having a BAFTA nomination help with that and get future work? No, I did already have my current agent for the film. And I got that off the back of doing... I guess enough shorts and taster tapes and 
I had done quite a lot of stuff. I'm not saying it was necessarily any good, but it was lots of it. Um, and I'd done stuff in the comedy world. So there was enough for an agent to go, okay, there's something here I might be able to sell. Um, so that was all in place before, before the ghoul uh, was made. Right, but obviously you have had more kind of more mainstream directing um, yeah, television totally. gigs, haven't you? So was that, is, would you say that the film has, and the BAFTA nomination has certainly helped with that? Oh, hugely, hugely, yeah. I mean, um, uh, yeah, it's basically been instrumental in me being able to do TV work, which, I mean, in a way, my career is kind of going round in a, in a loop because I'm doing the TV work, which if somebody glanced at my IMDb and didn't pay too close attention to the to the dates, they'd think that the TV work I was doing was before my first feature, but it's actually the other way around. Um, but we'll wait and see to see whether it leads to more features. That's the, that's the aim, obviously, and more, more of my own stuff. Um, but doing the TV work is just brilliant, um, partly because earning a living, and also I'm just getting that experience, which is what I wanted in the first place, which was kind of one of the reasons why we made the film. But it's just, yeah, it's had a huge, huge impact on my career. But it didn't, you know, you, people have really got to hold, you know, keep the faith, because it really didn't at first. It just looked like it was just going to be a thing where, we were going to have to say to ourselves, "Oh well, that was that was that was good. We did it. It was worthwhile." Um, but we just have to move on after kind of you know sticking it up on on Vimeo. So it's uh, it it just shows you just got to keep the faith and keep keep putting your work out there. Keep sort of keep keep hawking your stuff around even when it's um, even when it's finished. Yeah, because the film was obviously made in 2014 and then those BAFTAs were at the start of 2018 so I mean that is quite a big period really between first day of filming yeah no absolutely yeah it's a big big long period yeah um so yeah so 2014 we shot didn't finish the edit till 2015 then the grade and the sound mix as I say dragged on I guess till 2016 then there was the sort of 18 month period of trying to get it out into the up up until having distribution then distribution obviously takes time there's a bit of waiting around i think it was august september 2017 that it was actually released and then yeah the bafta bafta the following year so it's a fair old watch of time so in that time then what you know how much work were you doing on other things here and there i mean you mentioned earlier so I don't know if you were still doing anything like this, but you mentioned like corporate videos. Were you kind of well past that? Were you still just doing bits no, of I'm TV? No, I'm still doing that. Yeah, no, I'm still doing that. So the TV work really followed doing the feature and really, if I'm being honest, followed getting the BAFTA nomination. Although there is some overlap. But while doing, while editing the film, one of the reasons it took so long and while, you know, doing all the post-production and post-post-production, I was doing, for instance... Uh, English as a foreign language um, films for BBC online. So for people who wanted to learn Mandarin, uh, I did some films for people who wanted to learn French, uh, just for instance, but just all kinds of, and comedy taster tapes and all sorts of things, whoever would have me basically just to keep myself going. And the occasional bit of acting as well. Right, and... Again, I mean, this is a bit of a personal one, but financially, has that always been able to support you through or or have there been times where you've thought about jacking it all in and getting kind of a regular job, you know? Oh, certainly. I mean, it's been a struggle and I think it is for, you know, all filmmakers. Um, And uh, so definitely I've always resisted getting the kind of day job. I've sort of always said I'd rather just be broken at the time rather than um, have the day job, but I'm not sure. That's mostly because I'm a bit lazy and don't like doing proper work than it being the right strategy. I think people just have to do whatever works for them, and sometimes that is just having a day job and doing all this stuff around it. It's good to have some flexibility, though, to be able to go from one thing to another. But it is difficult. It's the main difficulty. It's the main thing that's definitely slowed me down over the years is just lack of money. Yeah. So when obviously you get offered a directing gig for TV, is it a case of you have to fight for it or do do you kind of get offered it straight off the back of previous work you've done? So Cold Call, for example, was the recent one for, was that ITV? That was for Channel 5. So yeah. how, how did that come about? 
So that came about, that one was came about fairly easily, but there's always a bit of a, I mean, it's difficult to fight, isn't it? Because, you know, you, you, it's finding out that the job, by the time you found out the job exists, you're probably already on a short list of people. And then, and then you can fight a little bit. You can do your best in the interview and, you know, pitch for it and all the rest of it. But this is the difficulty, as you probably know, with anybody's career is, you don't. You're not usually in the room, you know, to to do any fighting. Um, so, one of the main things that the film has done for me, and why I think it would be worth doing, even without BAFTA nominations, which you can't really control, you know, but just making something and trying to get it out there, is it just gets you in the room. It just gets you on people's lists, gets you on people's radars, because um, that's half the battle, isn't it? Is just getting known to people. And moving forward, then, have you got a, a plan for a, a second feature? Would you be willing to go down the same route of, you know, under 20 grand and just making it off the back of money you've got saved up and other bits you can kind of accumulate? Yeah, it's something I've thought about. Um, I mean, it would be tough to do it because it's such a big chunk of your life. I have thought about it, doing it again, that you could do it with the experience you amassed um, you could do it perhaps faster um, and with perhaps a little bit more money. But I'd obviously rather not. I'd rather make, I think people usually only have one of the, there's a few filmmakers like that um, who do, just do no budget films. And that's what they, that's what they do. And that way they have complete control and they support themselves in other ways. Uh, I mean, I, I guess I've got ambitions to do properly budgeted stuff instead basically but it's just a, a slow process of trying to get get finance together is a very very slow and laborious process and you just got to keep this one of the main things is keeping yourself creatively interested and having lots of plates spinning so have you got scripts that you have sent out and is it a case of you just waiting to hear back and hopefully one day get greenlit or is it something that's just because of obviously other work tv directing and so on is it slowed that down a little bit it does get slowed down by having other work. Um, but yeah, I've got other things, you know, in various states of development. But, you know, it's never enough. Like, it's, it's, it is. It's finding time to, to write. And it's just, yeah, it's very hard for everybody, including people on the other side of the, you know, producers to sort of piece together financing is... Is a is a big thing, but it's all the more reason why I'd recommend to anybody, just you know, if they can, getting together a micro budget feature because then at least you've made a film and then you're you're in the running. Whereas if you're just trying to hawk your know, scripts around, it's just a bit of a dispiriting thing. Gareth Tunley, thank you very much. Thanks, Martin. If you get the Ghoul DVD. It's got a making of commentary on it that we did for that as well, which is even if you if you're this much of a nerd over it, then you want to go through a micro budget film and really go scene for scene as to how it was made. Then me, Tom, and Jack did do that for a DVD commentary, 